0: As we conclude this text, um, last week we considered Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 20. We're going to kind of complete that um, by reading 16 through 20 in just a few moments. <clears throat> I want to welcome every one of you here to Was Beautiful day out there today, isn't it? That was just a delight. But I am glad that you weathered the storm cold and wet. You know, it's that time of the year that we're kind of getting excited as well for the festivities. um, And we look forward to that. We have a a lot before us as we um, are reminded of the fact that we are engaged in this spiritual battle, this warfare that surrounds us. Uh, We're going to conclude this today and then spend uh, the rest of the month celebrating and looking at the message, the story, of Christmas, But I, I don't think there's ever a moment for us to let our guard down. To just say everything's going to be fine. Whereas we know the enemy is real. And we've got to know, we've got to have an understanding of how we stand strong. And that's the delight um, of Ephesians chapter 6. Would you bow your heads and pray with me before we uh, dive into this. Father, we love you. And I thank you, Lord, for protecting us through another night and allowing us to gather to worship you, to lift our voices in praise, to pause, Lord, on the importance of understanding preparedness and knowledge and wisdom as we're engaged in a war that just rages around us. I thank you, Lord, so much for the The new members, the ones who have committed in covenant relationship to be faithful and use their gifts alongside of others for your glory. And Father, we together just just continue to plead that you'd guide us every single step of the way as as a local church. We pray for our community. We pray for many in this community that do not know you. We thank you for the opportunities we've had by way of outreach through the display of lights and the many people that are serving, just loving on our community. Father, we pray that we would be diligent to invite friends and family members as we look forward to Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And Lord, with all of the, the movement and the trappings and the lights and the festivities, may we keep our minds focused on you. Father, this morning with your word open before us, your spirit present amongst us, I would would pray that you would reveal yourself to us in a new way, in a fresh way. Stir the affections of our heart in a greater way for you. That Lord, as we leave in a few moments, that we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have heard from you. Steer our lives. Alter the course, the direction that we are on in any way so that we keep our minds and our hearts and our lives, our feet, our steps, the actions of our hands focused on you. Please give me the help that I need, clarity and thought and speech. May everything that is said and done be for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. By way of very quick review, we know that it's not just the enemy. We certainly face um, Satan, um, the devil, the slanderer, the tempter, the wicked one, the false accuser, and his many minions, his many demons. But we also face, by way of enemies in this world, what? The world itself. And not, not just unsaved people who, who don't like you. But what anyone, anything that has a, a guideless, godless mindset, the perspective that, that leaves no room for God. We know that what roaring within us, our own flesh, a natural disposition to assert our own will, our own authority over God's. So we battle in this spiritual warfare, Satan, the world, and our own flesh. But thankfully, we have been given a means. Not only to be protected, as we've looked at the last couple of weeks, to be safe. But we've been given a means and a way to stand. To be strong. To, to fight. How do we do that? James chapter 4 says this. Submit to God. Therefore, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. And I think that we focus on that. Just resist, resist the devil. But before that, it means that we have to surrender to God. Which means what? It's, it's his authority. It's his instruction. It's his call on how we live our lives, not our own. It's his will, his wisdom, his word. And remember, we can't, we can't just like pick and choose what everybody you're doing to. Like, I don't, I don't like this part, so let's just tear that out. It doesn't work like that. It is all or nothing. It's the fact that you are safe in this battle or you are not safe in this battle. Knowing that just like you can't pick and choose, we can't, we can't just take portions of Scripture. Remember Ephesians chapter 6? This chapter is a summary of all the other themes that have been developed through this letter, through this book. And so we've looked at them and we started last week with this, this belt of truth. And, and it seems a little odd, like you don't think of a belt as a piece of armor and it's how we gird the loins of our minds together. We've talked about the fact that what you you use truth to tighten up everything else in your entire life and perspective. You've heard this before like you got to you got to pull yourself together, man. You are you're all over the place. People's thinking is really weird. You got to cinch it tight. A truth of what we know to be certain. The binding force, the force of the gospel. We looked last week at the breastplate of righteousness, knowing that we have been made righteous in Christ. His imputed righteousness upon us. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, "...he made him who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God." God, in a sense, has imputed through the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross, his righteousness upon us, but it doesn't just stop there. That now calls us to a practical righteousness, to live like Christ, live for Christ in full obedience. We looked last week as shoes for your feet, the readiness of the gospel, which is both a defensive the knowledge of the gospel stabilizes us so we don't kind of fall over quickly but it also gives to us what an offensive weapon a readiness to proclaim the good news of the gospel think about this for a moment how long has it been think in your mind your life your little sphere of influence how long has it been since you have shared the message of the gospel with another person I'm thinking, was it this week? Like the message of the hope that exists in a hopeless world. How, how long do you have to go back? And they're like, well, you know, this summer we were sitting around a campfire with this guy. And I remember, I remember, you know, God came up. No, no, the message of, there has to be a readiness to offer it. We cinch on the bell of truth. We put on the breastplate of righteousness. And our, as the old King James says, our... our Our feet are shod. with The preparation of the gospel of peace. Let's pick it up. We're going to pick it up in verse 16. Here it is. Here's the rest of our text for us. Here's the armor that allows us to stand in the battle today. Ephesians 6, verse 16. In all circumstances... making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak the word of the Lord. Here's here's our next piece of armor. It says take up The shield of faith. And and I think it's obvious, but I love the fact that it says, in all circumstances, we understand the definition of the word all, which means that there is not any circumstance that we face in all of life. Heartache, discouragement, despair, depression, darkness, doesn't look good out there. There are no circumstances by which we cannot take up the shield of faith in all circumstances. And I think we tend, when we kind of hear this, you know that Captain America shield? You know that small round, it's called a phalanx in in Rome? That's not the type of shield, like this little one, okay? Step up from like Wonder Woman's wrist bracelets or whatever they are. It's, it's not that type of a shield. This is referred to as, as a, a scutha. And it, it literally, it's two and a half feet wide, and it's four feet long. It's like a door. It's the shape of a door that you're literally carrying into battle with you. It was oftentimes made of wood. Think about going to battle with that. You're taking a wooden door with you. Overlaid by leather or canvas with metal on the top and bottom. It's interesting to note the Greek historian, his name was Polybius, expert in the Hellenistic period. He, he describes it like this. He, he wrote how they would actually soak the shields in water for the purpose of extinguishing arrows that had been dipped in pitch and lit on fire before they were shot. So not only are you carrying a wooden door into battle. It's a wooden door that has been soaked in water. Why? Well, what does it say? What does it say that we are take up the shield of the faith so that we can extinguish all of the flaming darts of the evil one? And again, I love this. Notice it says, in all circumstances, which means there's not any circumstance you can't bring the shield, and it's going to extinguish all The flaming darts, which I am reminded of this God is not like a nine out of 10. Okay? Hey, you know, you land a 90, 90 plus on your test, and it's time to celebrate. Okay, God is is not a 90 plus guy. God is not a, He is what? It's all circumstances. And through his instruction, all the flaming darts. In the Old Testament, there is imagery of a shield that was pictured to represent God's protection. It says this in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And he says, fear not, Abram. And I love this. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, where God himself says, I am your shield. Now think of the fiery darts that are raining over us. The shield of faith protects the Christian today. Are there there darts that are being um, thrown at us? Are there like flaming dangerous things that that we feel ourselves under attack? And and the, the faith in a sense is what? It, we have to kind of put some meat on the bones of that. It's, it's confidence in, it's trust in God, in his work. It's the foundation of our entire life and the walk, and ultimately it's our protection in battle. And yet at some level, I think that you would say that faith is, is hard to have. It's, it's even harder at times to understand. It's a broad, we use faith broad way. Hebrews chapter eleven verse one defines it exceptionally well. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things which are not seen. Which means what? You can't grab an extra measure of faith, an extra handful on your way out the door in the morning. You can't. You can't. As your little one heads out, whoa, 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 whoa stop! Open up their backpack and stuff in a little bit of extra faith. You can't do that. You can't just like divvy it out like that because it is not seen, which means what? It's spirit born. I've been praying for wisdom. You know, where, where we are as a church, where we need to go as a church. And, and I know the element of spiritual warfare is real, and it exists. We have Christmas coming, I'm looking forward to Genesis. But at some level, and when you've preached 25 plus years on Christmas, it's kind of like, like which angle, like, how do, you, how do you look at the manger, okay? Okay. And I've been struck really with one idea that we're actually going to focus on the next couple of weeks as we celebrate the Christmas story. And it's faith. It has to do with this, this word, this message. Because we, we all love the characters. Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, you know, the kind of like the loser guys that were given the job to be eaten before the sheep were. Like, that's their job. And Anna and, and so we love the characters. But you realize... They, they all saw Jesus. Like they saw the star. And, and you and I, we don't, we don't see Jesus. Which means what? It demands something that is greater than us in order to put our faith in him. How much does it take for us to trust in that which you can't stuff in your backpack as you head out the door? What does Hebrews, Hebrews do? When, when it defines in chapter 11, verse 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, How, what, what direction does it then go? You know, you know this chapter. And that's what I love about it. By faith. And it begins with, Abel, he offered a sacrifice. And then it kind of goes through the narrative of what by faith, Noah construct it. Like he spent a lot of time and effort. A lot of trips to the hardware store here. By faith, Abraham obeyed. And the narrative continues. By faith, Isaac invoked the blessing and Jacob blessed. Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, David. It's pretty hard. What's happening here? The book of Hebrews is written to Jewish people. And in a sense, it's pretty hard to deny something that's standing right in front of you. He's saying what? You wouldn't even be here. You wouldn't even exist apart from this. It's pretty hard to reject something that is so obvious. And that's what we have to see. The obvious evidence of faith in the life of a person Totally and dramatically and radically changes them, transforms them. You can't deny that. They were miserable. And dark. And they were absolutely desperate. But something happened in that person's life. Why? They they put faith in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm still struck at some level, like, why is it, though that that some seem to have it and others do not well i think it's directly connected to the next piece that's really in our armory remember you can't you can't parse this out you can't piecemeal this it is all or nothing you are covered or you're not covered you are safe or you are not safe. Well, what else does it say? It says what? This is the, the, the fifth and final piece, in a sense, of the actual armor. The helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation. I think it's interesting as well that notice that there's nothing here that covers your back. Okay, the, 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 the shoes on your feet and the belt and the breastplate and the helmet. There's nothing which means what? You're, you're, never, you're to never turn and run. From the enemy. There's nothing covering your back. You turn around and you're in a dangerous place because the enemy will shoot you in the back. And I've seen, I've seen the devastation of lives of people that have run away from. I've seen the enemy shoot them in the back. And it is an ugly, horrific. Mass. No, no. We are instead instructed to take this helmet of salvation, and we know that we know. We've talked. It's not literal. It's not like this, but rather it's figurative language that helps us be able to learn and ready ourselves for this intense, heated, and, and ugly battle that we are in. Because you have to realize what is what is the enemy's goal. The enemy's goal, okay, is not is not to like give you a black eye. The enemy's goal is that he wants you dead. He wants you out of the fight. It's not going to be a pinprick of problem here. No, no. A little little dark day, a little discouragement. No, no, no. He's more about just bothering you and annoying you. It's really about destructing. Let's deconstruct. The faith that you have, the salvation that you put your trust in. And how do we know that this is, this is the enemy's intent? John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to only to steal, to steal, and to kill and destroy. He's got one, one goal to to steal, to kill and destroy. And Jesus says, Well, I've come that you may have life. And have it more abundantly. 1 Peter chapter 5 says. What well, be sober minded. Be watchful. Because your adversary the devil. Prowls around like a roaring lion. Seeking someone whom he can scare. Seeking someone that he could like. Just kind of like give them a. De- no. Seeking someone he could devour. Which means literally it translates into this. He eats you up and spits you out. A Roman soldier would never. Go into battle without wearing his helmet. Arguably, arguably the most important piece here. Some Roman helmets were made of thick leather, covered with plates of metal. Others were entirely heavy molded or beaten metal. Usually had cheek pieces to protect the sides of the face and even a nose piece to protect the front of the face. And it always had a a back to it that would protect what your neck. And the big broadsword coming down to take off your head. It's interesting here that the fact that the helmet is related to salvation. The helmet related to salvation is an indicator that what? Satan's blows are directed at your believers' security and the assurance of who we are in Christ. Now how how does the enemy do this? I read the two biggest things. It begins with, it doesn't end here, it begins with discouragement and he uses doubt. How how does he begin to like worm his way in? Discouragement and doubt. And he will use every means possible. Like I I just don't feel like I had the faith that I used to have. Like, I've seen other people, the way that they live their lives, and they call themselves a Christian. Like, what is that? Why why do I want that? And there's seeds planted in our minds of discouragement and doubt. He will use every means possible, reminding us what? Of our own personal failures. Of our own personal defeats. And and what he does is he uses every means possible to destroy the thinking that we are to have of our assurance being in Christ. Let me ask you a question. What, in, in, in a sense, to test your mantle, to test one's own character, what would it take to stop you like life's sailing, we have tough days, but like, just, just don't touch my kids. Right? Or else, you know, we know it's hard, but just keep the security of, of the marriage intact. What's it going to take? Some, some people, in all honesty, I'm, I'm convinced, it's like, it's like they, hear, they just hear the, the, sab, the, the saber rattle. Like the first shot, I'm done. I'm out. Like yeah, this whole Christian thing is really. I I know people personally baptized. Who? Wow! First bit of difficulty, they're gone. They're nowhere to be found, and there's what a sense of they turn their back, retreat, and discouragement. Remember, remember, First um, Kings eighteen, guy by the name of Elijah. I mean, he's a pretty impressive character. Um, he's the one who, in a sense, God chooses, if you remember 1 Kings chapter 18, to go on the top of Mount Carmel, and he's facing down 450 false prophets of Baal. 450, like 450 to one. And, and remember that they're, 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 they're mocking God. Elijah says, we will not hear of this. And he prays, and he prays. Remember this? And they build the altar, and they soak it with water, and Elijah prays, and what happens? Literally, fire comes down, not just destroys the, burns up the altar. It burned, fire destroys 450 false prophets. You ever see like a one-sided game? Like, it just, like, this is a blowout. This is the absolute blowout. 1 Kings chapter 18. And it's like, whoa, Elijah, that is the man. One chapter later. As much as we were on, like, I don't like that part of the story. And it's interesting that, that a lot of times the story ends in 18. One chapter later, Wicked Queen Jezebel, in a sense, puts a price on Elijah's head. You go find him. You bring him back, you kill him, and I will give you money for it. And what happens? This is, this, is, this is it. First Kings chapter 19, it says, then he, speaking of Elijah, he was afraid. He arose and he ran for his life. He came to Beersheba. He left his servant there. Problems when you're wandering around by yourself. Problems when you start to leave people around you. Yeah, you just stay there. I'm going to head on here by myself, idiot. No, you don't. You don't do that. He left his servant, but he himself, went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came and he sat under a broom tree and he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better. Than my father's. Like at some level. In the heat of the battle. Some people just stand. And others like what is it? Like what is it? I think of of Job. We're studying Job in our home group. And Job says. We know the story. Like life just dumps. And in a sense God in his sovereignty. Gives permission to the enemy. Have you considered my servant Job? And just wrecks What does Job say in chapter 13 verse 15? Though he slay me I will hope in him. There's something something like there's there's something there's an element that is just not going to move. This week I was introduced to a man in, in church history I'd never even heard of before. His name was William Seward. That's kind of a that's kind of a bummer name. Sewer? He was actually, and the reason I don't think that we hear of him, is that he, tr- he, was, he was a wealthy businessman. He wasn't really a, a pastor, preacher. He was one of the guys that God used to support the ministry of George Whitfield, of others. One man, his name was Hal, Howard, Hal Harris. And he would travel along, and he would support them in their ministry. So he was, he was gifted in other ways, and he used that. I, re- I read this story. and I, just, I was reading it to Wendy, and, and we were just kind of chuckling over it. L- listen to this. 1740, he traveled with Hal Harris in Wales. And he records, he's writing it in his own personal journal. He records several occasions when the crowds... Well, how Harris is preaching, he says the crowds became violent. His journal entry, September the 9th, 1740. He wrote, we had been singing and praying and discoursing for half an hour when the mob began to be outrageous and to pelt us. Till at length I was struck with a stone upon my eye, which caused me so much anguish, I was forced to go away to the inn. Brother Harris just continued to preach. The next morning, we went out again, preaching in the same place to the same crowd. Seward writes this, We had continual showers of stones they threw at us, walnuts they threw at us, dirt, and they even threw a dead cat and also a dead dog was thrown at us. I was struck on my forehead and under my right eye again with a stone. A drum was ordered to beat, which drowned out our voices. And he writes this, he says, The book, in parentheses, the Bible, was all covered with mud. After Brother Harris was done, he asked me to speak. I said a few words, but he says this, and this is what I underlined. I found my call was more to suffer than to preach. That's, like, what is that? You go out to work every day, and people start throwing stones at your head, okay? And what I love the fact is that this guy, obviously wealthy, gets hit in the head. He's like, I'm out. I gotta go to the inn. Whoa. And he, he talks about, yeah, hes doctored up. He heads out the next day, and it's worse, and they just keep doing this. Could you imagine, preaching in a setting where they're just beating a drum to drown out the words that they don't want to hear. At some level, I'm out. Like, well, sorry. And 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 this, oh man, says really nobody wanted to hear me speak. He's got really nothing to say. And he says, my call was just to suffer. At some level, like, like, How much mantle do you have? I'm amazed. I mean, I'm amazed at people that have cut and run from the church because it's like, whoa, they're really asking a lot. They like want us here. Like, they want us to show up. And yet we have 15. There was one missing today. We're going to receive her later on. There were 14 today and one more coming. New members who said, I'm willing to stand up alongside to do the work that God has called me to do. To take the helmet of salvation means to take the knowledge of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, everything that he accomplished that was sufficient for your atonement, your redemption, being declared righteous on the cross and the tomb. And what? To to put that in your mind. And even when there are stones. Perhaps figurative stones. That are thrown at you. And they hit you in the head. You hold on to this. You do not forget. What Christ has done. Regardless of how difficult or dangerous. The battle gets. You remember the risen Savior. Personally speaking. I I can think of the time and the place where i was discouraged in ministry there was a darkness even a disillusionment years ago and i stepped out of ministry cuz like i don't i'm not figuring this out if god is sovereign why do i have to bother doing what i do why do i have to bother studying and reading and writing god's going to do what he wants and i remember so clearly i can still hear the softest most gentle voice Mr. Ron Cook, he had a a southern accent. He's from West Virginia. He says, Tim, can I I ask you this? Do do you really honestly believe that Jesus Christ died? He was dead. And they put him in the grave and and he rose back to life again. Do do you believe that? And I said, yes, sir, I do. I I honestly do. Even with things swirling around me. and, And we can believe lies. And there's certain at certain level, and he asked me the same question again. You, you're telling me you believe a guy was dead. There's no breath in him. He wasn't knocked out. He was shredded. Sword pierced his eye. He was dead for three days. And you, you think he got up and walked out? And I said, yes, sir, I, I, I believe that he did. And he, and he said, if, if what? If God can raise a man to life again. His own son who was totally dead to life again. What? He can, he can forgive you. He can use you. He can encourage you. He can give you the strength that you need to do another day. Ron Cook gave me a, uh, a little piece of cardboard and he said, I want you to keep this in your wallet. And I carry this. I took it out of my wallet this morning and I carry this with me. Let, let me read it to you. Because of Christ's redemption. In a sense, because of the salvation that is offered. Because of Christ's redemption. I am a new creation of great worth. I am deeply loved, completely forgiven, fully pleasing, totally accepted by God. And absolutely complete in Christ. It's the, it's the promise of of salvation and i keep that with me every day i put my wallet in my pocket that we head out why we hold on to this and we sink it in our minds of what christ has done for us lastly we take the sword of the spirit i love the the obvious emphasis which is the word of god like it's like we kind of know that, but and he tells us which is the word of God. And I'm I'm still amazed by this. This is this is one book broken into to two sections, right? 66 smaller books comprise the Old Testament. 39, 27 New Testament books. There's 1,189 chapters written by over 40 men over a period of 1,500 years. Every single word was God breathed. It says. God told every every jot and tittle. One author, in a sense, through the pen and personality of forty other ones, within this one book, you see different genres of historical narrative and law and poetical wisdom literature and prophetic word. There's letters, epistles. It includes everything: tragedy and bloodshed and war and heartache. And yet there's humor in it. There's romance in it. There's love. There's hope that is offered for, for millennia. You have to realize this. People have attempted to forbid this book. You're not allowed to have it. You can't hold it. You can't have it in your possession. They've attempted to remove it and burn it, and dispose of it. Yet it still remains. It remains, you realize, the number one most produced, printed, distributed book in the history of the world. Many of us read J.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. A hundred million copies. If a book makes it to a million today, that's a big deal. Tolkien's Hobbit, a hundred million copies. Charles Dickens' The Tale of Two Cities. Two hundred million copies think think just think of it like that on that number 200 million copies of Charles Dickens work he's pretty much set right we'd say take that number multiply it by 25 the word of god this two-edged sword 5 billion copies is what they estimate have been what printed Produced, distributed around the world. Where, where there have been entire governments whose, whose sole goal has been to remove it. Something is up with this. The word of God described in Hebrews as living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and of spirit. Of joints and of marrow. And discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, and if you spend any time studying its pages, you know that to be true. Second Timothy describes it: that all Scripture is breathed out by God. Is profitable, is useful. Forgive me, I don't have I don't have a lot of time for like non useful stuff. I I just it, like the clock's ticking, people. Okay, and so there's a lot of like fluff and other in this world. Like, what is that like? If I'm going to use it, that's fine. The word of God is, is what? Profitable. It's useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You realize you open up the middle of your Bible to Psalms. The longest chapter in the entire Bible. Psalm 119 is basically dedicated with one subject. It is, as I've heard it described, a love poem about the word of God. That's 150 verses of one chapter with one subject. Listen to the words. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Listen to this. I open my mouth and I pant because I long for your commandments. I'm I'm longing for. Yet you have your word either on your phone or on your night table. Can can that describe you? Like my, my soul pants. My mouth is, I'm thirsty for this. You understand the help that exists, the power that exists in this word. So much so that, as we're told in this text of scripture, you cannot survive without it. Which means you are dead without this sword. And for some reason, it's like, it's like twisting people's arms to get them to like, could, could you read a verse this morning? I got a really busy schedule. Yeah, People, you're, you're going to cut and run. You're going to leave your back exposed, and you're going to be shot in the back. That's why marriages are messes all over our world. That's why kids, kids are killing themselves. Scottish pastor and writer Thomas Guthrie said, and I left this with you, the Bible is an armory of heavenly weapons a laboratory of infallible medicines, a mine of inexhaustible wealth. It is a guidebook for every road, a chart for every sea, a medicine for every malady, and a bomb for every wound. God's free says, rob us of our bi- Bible, and our sky has lost its sun. you understand why we talk about the fact that we are nourished by this? We're fed by this. We know the battle is real. We've spent, what, six weeks talking about how dangerous, how heated it is that rages around us and the enemies of this world and Satan and our own flesh, the godless influences that pervade around us. Destroying. Therefore, what? We must know the word. Don't race out, people. Don't race out. you got nothing more to accomplish. Nothing is more important than you being nourished and strengthened in in this word and knowing it like the back of your hand. We have to know the word. We must be together as family. Like this is family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. One hurts, we all hurts. Someone's going through sickness or struggle. We we just we just it should be a steady their phone should get continually we are right alongside of them we have to go through life as family we must commit ourselves with the same verse team praying at all times in the spirit we've, we've concluded every portion of this Ephesians six text with this emphasis praying at all times there's that word again in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. We must trust the God of our salvation as the scriptures promise to hold us and to keep us. Not not just to like survive in life, but to stand. To not be blown over, knocked over in the fierceness of the battle. We close by asking this, where where, where are you in the battle today? You're You're all... Engaged. at some level, are you standing strong? Like you, you feel the cold wind and the rain kind of pelt against your face, but you're leaning in. Are you standing, or are you what? I'm just, Pastor Tim, I'm just, I'm just losing ground here. Like I'm struggling, like I'm struggling. It's okay, it's, it's okay for you to say, I'm, I'm, I'm wearing out here. I need some help. What do we do? Please, 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 I plead with you. You can't go it alone. Elijah left his servant and continued on. You cannot, you've got to seek help. There is no way, I have to be honest, there's no way I as a shepherd, a pastor, a group of elders... There's no way that others in this body can come alongside of you and minister to you and pray to you unless you tell them, I'm struggling here. You got to let someone know that. I don't know how else. You can can drop by, you can text, you can call, you got a QR code, you got a thousand ways. Let somebody know because you can't go it alone. That's the importance of being together in a battle with the hope, knowing our faith, knowing our salvation is secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? So we can stand. Too many people just totally falling, refusing help. And I would pray that we'd be a church, individually, corporately, together, we would be a church that stands strong for the gospel, holding together, These bits and pieces that God has given to us to be faithful for his glory. Father, we love you. I just pray that each person here today would hear from you, would not leave this morning, that they would pull someone aside that we would be able to come along to minister to, to pray with, to encourage, to go into your word, to be reminded of of the power of the risen Savior. Thank you, Lord, for ministering to my heart encouraging me. I thank you for other people that have taken the time to check up on me, and I, I rejoice in that, and I thank you for that. May all of us, since the joy of knowing that we are in this battle together, all for your glory. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.